Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Hey guys, my name is Nathan. I'm the campus minister, as Jackie said, with RUF. Um, I've been at BU. Uh, this is my seventh year, actually. So, um, yeah, it's great to be back and start a new semester. Great to see some new faces. And I just want to introduce uh, the series that we're going to be doing this whole semester. It's called Questions God Asks Us. And maybe you saw this graphic on Instagram. Uh, Serena made it. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's um, different, though, because a lot of times we, we have questions, right? We think of all the questions we want to ask God when we get to heaven, right? Um, we think of all the questions we want to ask um, ourselves or our parents about what it was like uh, to be a young person in life. We have a lot of questions, but this semester we're going to be talking about questions God asks. And so we're going to be kind of jumping around to different parts of scripture. Uh, this uh, time we're in Genesis, the very beginning, and we're going to um, look at some interesting things that God says that I think are very relevant for us today. I had to look up how to spell the plural of January. <laughs> this is one of two forms, 10 and a half Januaries. What do I mean by that? January is a month. I don't know about you, but it's a month where I reflect on my life. It's just, even if I try not to, I always end up doing it. You know, do I like my habits? How, how's, um, you know, my, my walk with the Lord? How are my friendships? Am I where I want to be in career? All of that I usually address or think about or reflect on in January. But because of the pandemic, which started in Boston, by my calculations, 10 and a half months ago, last March, I'm sure you guys remember where you were when you got that email or you heard that word uh, that the campus was being shut down. It sort of feels like during this pandemic, it's been... January after January after January, over and over again, where we're forced to stay put, to sit still, and to consider our lives, to kind of take stock. Who am I? Am I where I want to be? I want to just put some questions out there that maybe you're thinking, maybe you seeing it written out, you're like, oh yeah, that is what I'm thinking. Where am I at in my life? Am I where I want to be? Who is really important to me? You know, our, our circle of friends and uh, people who influence us has shrunk drastically. And it's asked us, who's really important to me? What do I want to be when I grow up? A lot of us are still asking this question, even though we're adults. What do I want to do with my life? What am I going to do with my psychology degree? What am I going to do um, after I graduate? Am I spending my time the way I want to be? Do I need to revisit my, my weekly schedule, my habits, my morning routine? All of that might be in your mind. And maybe you're asking, what do I believe? Maybe you're revisiting your spiritual life. Maybe you uh, realize that you've been in a season of drought and you need to really ask yourself, where am I at in my relationship with God? Am I lovable? All of these questions. Do I like my body? What if someone close to me gets sick? It can be almost cacophonous and chaotic. All of these questions at once. And tonight I want us to mute 
those. I want us to put a pause on the questions that we are asking, that we are asking ourselves, others, and even God. And I want us to listen to a question that God asked us. He asked the very first uh, humans that walked the earth, Adam and Eve, where are you? I'm going to repeat this question a lot tonight. We're going to be even discussing it in our, our breakout rooms. Where are you? I want to start with the first verse that we looked at, which was verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Whoa, why are we starting in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a story? We don't even know who they are, right? It's like a movie that starts right with the action. We have come into the scene in the aftermath and the consequences of the very first sin. Adam and Eve had just disobeyed the commandment of God to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And immediately when they ate of that tree, this is what happened. The eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked and they tried to cover themselves. And later on in verse 10, we see Adam give this reason for why he's hiding. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, let's, let's think about what's going on here. God had just made them. And the, what we know about God from scriptures is that he can see all things. He knows all things. And here he is looking for them. And even still, Adam and Eve are trying to hide themselves from him. Is it the nakedness that they're really trying to cover? Or is it something else? I believe it's something far, far deeper than their skin being exposed to each other or to God. It's the depths of their soul that has become divided. You see, when God made them, he made them to be loyal to their maker, loyal to their creator and their God. And all of a sudden, when they sought autonomy, when they sought to um, do something in rebellion against their creator, they were split down the middle. They were divided. And that part of themselves that was divided, now it stands out. They're exposed. And so they immediately feel like they need to hide. This is what we do, right? This is what we do when we sin. We try to hide. We feel guilty. We feel shame. And we want to go away and be by ourselves. We want nothing to do with God. We don't even want sometimes anything to do with other people. We feel so much shame. We attempt to make clothes for ourselves. And we'll get to that a little later. These uh, clothes were pretty elementary, right? They were made out of leaves. And so it was definitely a, a pretty elementary uh, attempt at hiding themselves, even for clothes, right? They were going to, those leaves were going to shrivel up and die. They're going to have to make new ones. They were certainly temporary and not very good ones at that. And certainly they didn't cover their shame. Certainly they didn't cover their guilt. Now I've used two words, guilt and shame. Let's 
define those a little bit more specifically. This is from Dan DeWitt. Guilt is usually tied to an event. I did something bad. Shame is tied to a person. I am bad. Guilt is the wound. Shame is the scar. When you violate God's laws, you feel guilt, but that emotion is quickly, nearly simultaneously, joined by shame. Guilt says, you did something wrong. Shame says, that's why you need to hide. You're no good. You deserve to live in darkness. Come with me. I'll lead the way. And it's so good because that's exactly what we feel. When we sin against God, we feel this, this shame that it affects our whole selves. We, we try to hide certain things about us. Maybe we, we hide the thoughts that we have. We hide what we do on the internet by ourselves. We hide um, things in our past from other people. But ultimately, it affects all of ourselves, even, even um, the part that we try to show others. We're meant to be united, whole people. And we're walking around with shame. We're walking around with fig leaves trying to hide what only God can cover. Where are you? Are you hiding? Are you like Adam and Eve trying to get away from God, trying to do your best to cover your guilt and your shame by yourself? I want to look now, I want to shift away from what we do in response to our sin and how we feel after we sin, that I am bad, I am wrong, I need to hide, to what God does. What does God do? Well, these are his words. Where are you? Where are you? If you look back at the passage, um, there's three questions, or actually four, that God asks Adam and Eve. He says, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? And then he says, what is this you have done? And he asks these questions because he's a just God. He, he gives them a chance to respond, to answer for themselves, to, uh, to speak the truth, or even cover it up. And you might expect this where are you to be in this kind of like low, grovelly, angry voice. Where are you? I'm coming to get you. Right? You might expect that, that God is going to come in anger. That God is going to come with a sword. God is going to come to punish, to condemn. But think about that first question, where are you? If, if he was the creator... I don't know about you guys, you, you probably have, have written several essays where you hit the delete or backspace button more than any other button. You, you, you have to start over so many times, or maybe you're, you're, you're painting a painting and you have to white out the canvas so many times because you make mistakes, right? If God had made a mistake here, if he's the creator who created out of nothing, then he could equally have destroyed, right? And started over, said, well, that didn't work, but he didn't. He goes into his creation, into the garden, and he comes after Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? He knows where they are. 
He wants a relationship with them. He asks these three questions, one to Adam, one to Eve, and then he turns to the serpent. And we'd expect the curse first to go to the first person he talked to, to Adam, right? But he starts with a curse to the serpent. He says this, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Before he ever says a word of curse, before he ever says anything to Adam and Eve about the consequences for the sin that they have committed, he gives a promise. These verses, these two verses are called the first gospel. They're a hint and a glimmer at what we know is the full gospel of this offspring of the woman being Jesus of Nazareth who was born a descendant of Adam and Eve, who came to conquer sin and death. That great serpent, Satan, was going to be killed by Jesus. This was the promise. See, immediately after the sin, God knew he had a way to redeem the people that he wanted to be in relationship with. And this man, Jesus, as he walked the earth, the word that had become flesh, the word of God become flesh, he dwelt among us. He was with us. Just like God was in the garden, he was with Adam and Eve. He was pursuing. Jesus pursued his people. And Jesus told a lot of stories, and they're called parables. And one of these parables was about a shepherd. Uh, I thought this was a pretty handsome-looking sheep staring right at us. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times, we are the sheep in the stories, right? Um, I don't know if I want to be compared to one, but, but we are. And so this shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one goes missing. One percent. One percent of the sheep wander off and get lost. And he realizes that he's doing his daily count or hourly count or whatever. And he, he goes off. He leaves the ninety-nine. And he runs after to find, where are you? Where are you, my lost sheep? Jesus came to earth to find that lost sheep. The one who was hiding in shame. Now, friends, I, I want to I emphasize this because um, a lot of you may have started out the semester saying, I want to get closer to God. And that's a really good motive. That's a really good thing to want. But Christianity is fundamentally not about getting closer to God. It's good news about a God who comes close to us. A God who pursued us even when we are hiding in our shame and our guilt. He is seeking us out. He wants to be with us. He's not seeking us out with a baseball bat ready to condemn, ready to punish. He is seeking us out with blood to redeem us. You see, God sent his son to die on the cross, to be a sacrifice, to pay the penalty for our sin. But there's more, right? We, that, that covers the guilt. That covers the guilt. What about the shame? 
the famous parable of the prodigal son. One part of that I want to point out, as, as you know, the prodigal son is the one son who, who just despises his, his family and father and says, I want to get out of here and I want to go spend all my money frivolously. He does that and he comes back in rags. He's been feeding pigs, eating the pigs food. He comes back in tattered rags. And what does his father do? He runs out to him and he gives him a new piece of clothing, gives him the finest robe, the cloak to cover his shame. It was the, the cloak, the robe of honor in the family. And he gave it to the one who was in rags. That is what Jesus does for us. He, he takes care of our guilt, but he knows that we walk in shame. He knows that we walk in darkness and shadows. We hide. We're still making fig leaves for ourselves to be clothes for us. But Jesus has covered our shame. Let's believe in that good news. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, that you have not left us alone hiding, but you have pursued us. Lord, we thank you for that refreshing good news that we can be not hiding in our shame, but hidden in your embrace forever. We ask that you would give us faith as we start the semester to believe that and hold fast to that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.